Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I am Scott Jones, your host. Thanks for joining me. This is the podcast where I interview elite and inspirational and amazing everyday athletes so that you guys can take their stories, take their resources, and go do some amazing things on, on your own. You know, I, I truly believe that every single person is an athlete if they just apply themselves, and I'm here to provide those resources and inspiration so that you can apply yourself in whatever athletic endeavor uh, you want to take on. So, so today's guest is definitely going to provide some inspiration. She's got some great stories. Uh, she's an energetic, high-passion person. She is the first female professional obstacle racer, and she talks about some of her events. She's an author on the topic, and she's writing all over the all over the web. She she founded DirtInYourSkirt.com. Just a lot of cool stuff. You'll find out all about her during the show. Uh, as for me, I, I'm I'm enjoying talking to you guys. I've been meeting a lot of the audience, and I say this all the time, but it's really why I do this. I really enjoy reaching out, uh, or when you reach out and, and give me feedback and, and tell me how how these stories are affecting you. It really means a lot to me. And uh, if it sounds a little echoey, it's because I'm not in my normal office that I record in. I'm in my brand new condo here that we've moved into. Uh, and it's equity because there's hardly anything on the walls or on the floors. And uh, it's been the week from H-E-L-L. You know how that works. Uh, a lot of sleepless or or hardly any sleep nights uh, with our two little guys. But I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I love what I'm doing. I'm working on some amazing things with some with some partners all over the country that has have to do with fitness and, and health and entrepreneurial things in this industry. And I'm excited to share that with you guys. Uh, but... Today we have an interview, so I'm going to let you guys get to that. If you like what you hear today, please go over to athleteonfire.com, click on the podcast, you'll see an iTunes and a Stitcher subscribe button. Click on those bad boys, and I'd love to see a review. If not, just keep on listening and get out there and do some amazing things. Thanks a lot. Prepare to be inspired by some of the most successful athletes on the planet. This is Athlete on Fire, your daily source of amazing stories that will ignite your pursuit of excellence and inspire you to be and do amazing things. Now, I have one question. Are you fired up? Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I am Scott Jones, your host, and today we have our the, the very first female professional obstacle racer, Ever, she's a beast. Obviously, you have to be to have that title. She's also an author of of a book that's coming out pretty soon. I'm really excited to talk to her. Her name is Margaret Schlachter. Margaret, what's up? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Should I call you Margaret or Schlachter today? Uh, Margaret's fine with me. <laughs> okay. Well, Schlachter. So fun. I'm gonna be actually. I might just go with Schlachter. It's really fun to say. I'm just telling you. I brutalize everybody's name on here, and I actually feel like a tricky one I can get. So I'm all pumped up. Okay. So let me explain to you really quick how the show is going to work. All right? Sure. All right. We have three segments. We have Athlete on Fire, Athlete Defined, and Athlete Inspired. Uh, Athlete Defined is what we start with, and we're just going to kind of get to know you, let people know where you're coming from, what you're working on, uh, you know, where your roots are. It's kind of a fun time just to, to sit down, you know, like we're at a coffee shop and, and hang out. Secondly is Athlete on Fire, and we're going to just find out the mental and physical capacity it takes to really compete at a high level, and I think you'll be able to speak to that. And lastly is Athlete Inspired, and we're going to give our listeners a bunch of really good takeaways, you know, inspiring little tidbits that they can use on their own for their own inspiration. All right? Sounds great. All right, so Athlete Defined. Uh, I want you to go back to when you're 15 years old, Saturday, middle of the summer, 
what are you doing all day? Well, I uh, definitely had a little bit different childhood, I think, than most people. I grew up as an alpine ski racer, and all of high school I went to a school where I spent half my day training and the other half the day going to school. So in the summer, I would go to um, different places to go find snow in the middle of the summer. So, uh, you know, I could have been in in France or Switzerland, probably on a ski slope. Wow. Wow. So did you have a certain event that you were specializing in or? I was best at downhill. <laughs> so, so probably the craziest one of all, you know, let's, let's go the fastest that we can possibly go and, um, try to get to the bottom of the hill as quick as possible. So, you know, I, I haven't talked, I, you know, we talked off, off air like for 10 minutes before the show. So that, that's how much we know each other, but <laughs> w- without going crazy, would it be safe to say that you, you kind of like adrenaline? Is that safe or? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty safe to say. Uh, you know, I, I grew up ski racing and being a lacrosse goalie. Nice. So, um, definitely not, uh, you know, for the faint of heart sports. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's just dive in, in a little bit more into your childhood. You know, what were your parents like, you know, did you have siblings? What was the dynamic? What kind of work ethic was instilled? Just take us away for a second there. For sure. Um, you know, my, my parents had divorced when I was about nine years old. Um, I am the oldest of five including a stepbrother and stepsister. But at this point, you know, my parents, my mom and stepdad have been married for 20 years. So it's kind of all, well, it's all in the family (laughs) at this point now. But, um, you know, they really, we spent all of our time when I wasn't traveling and training and stuff like that up in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. So um, I spent a lot of time outside. And, you know, I'd say that my parents pretty much instilled in me the kind of love of the outdoors at a really young age. You know, none of the, None of my parents or step-parents were amazing, you know, standout athletes, um, but they all have kind of enjoyed just fitness for life and just being outdoors and, um, you know, sailing, kayaking, all that sort of hiking and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you're doing all this stuff, outdoorsy stuff with your family, and and I like to dig in a little bit more. So think of a time that you guys are doing something outdoorsy out of that list you just mentioned that something really funny happened that had to do with either your mom or your stepdad or your dad or or somebody in your family? Well, it's kind of funny now. It wasn't really funny at the time, but, um, me being, you know, like just around a teenage age, maybe 12 years old, I think I was, we were hiking up this little, little mountain. It's like my mom's birthday, I think even. And I'm hiking with my step siblings and it's just her and us. And I'm the one that's like, we gotta go faster. We gotta go faster. We gotta go faster. And I was like, okay, we'll go up to the top and then wait for me. Well, I went up to the top and started to then hike down the opposite side of the mountain. And it, at the time it was, you know, it was actually a scary situation, but it's funny. But I'm sitting on the, like, I've gone off trail. I'm like totally lost in the woods by myself thinking that my life is just about to end. You know, <laughs> that, that I'm like, the, and, and I got to say too, this is a tiny little mountain. That's right by Lake George, New York. For anybody that's from New York, it's a very populated area. And I ended up walking towards the summer camp that I had gone to earlier in the summer and walked into my counselor that I had had from earlier in the summer. So, you know, it just so happened my mom knew the directors of the camp and whatnot. She came and picked me up. It's all an okay story. But it was just funny at the time. You know, it, it taught me, number one, to, you know, kind of listen to your parents when they say stop at the top of a mountain 
you know, and I think during, I think during it, I was, you know, I was saying I'll be a better daughter uh, if I just get out of this alive. You know, I'm like screaming this in the woods and and saying, I'll, you know, I'll make my bed, I'll do whatever <laughs> I say. It, you know, I wasn't in real eminent danger at the time, but I didn't, I didn't really realize that. And and now looking back, it's kind of a, it's become kind of a funny family story that along with the time where I told my whole family I knew how to get up to the top of a mountain and directed us up safely but then on the way back ended up getting us lost and we ended up having to bushwhack through swamp so um you nice. know very confident in what I what I thought I knew how to do and well, in practice wasn't always so confident <laughs> well and, and seemingly all very foreshadowing to what your life is right now <laughs> so yeah Take a sec. I mean, for for people who don't know who you are, uh, take a second and tell us what you're working on, what kind of athlete you you are. You know, I know you're an author as well, so so you can tap into that a little bit and just take a minute or two. So yeah, so I uh, am an obstacle course racer, and then I would very much say I'm still a um, sort of n- noob into the more endurance ultra running world, but have fun kind of playing in that world as well. Um, so I've done over 50 obstacle course races since 2010, and now I've done about 10 ultra and ultra distance obstacle races. And uh, then what I spend my day-to-day most of the time, I sit in front of a computer and I write about the sport. I write about the sport for About.com, FitnessRx for Women, my own website, Dirt in Your Skirt. And then I have a new book coming out in April 2014, Uh called obstacle race training how to beat any course compete like a champion and change your life so the book really uh brings you through the whole sport of obstacle racing if you've never heard of it scott you just you're in an airport you see a picture of uh of me jumping over fire you could pick it up read through the book and figure out how to find a race how to be dressed for it how to get through it and kind of how to train for it no that's awesome and the obstacle racing world has turned into its own sport, its own industry, not unlike CrossFit and a lot of other new fitness concepts coming up uh, recently. And I think it's really cool to have a resource to kind of fall back on and give people some confidence. You know, it's it's not unlike triathlon where you just really don't know what you should be doing. So having a good resource like that is pretty sweet. Yeah, to- uh, totally. And it has changed so much. Um, this is my fifth season now now racing. Uh, and it if if people saw what it was like originally in the beginning, there's a couple of YouTube videos kind of floating around. It looks like somebody put up some stuff in their backyard, and it's pretty podunk looking. <laughs> as to, as to now, you know, it was just on um, NBC Sports just did a special on the the Spartan Race World Championship last year. So it, it's, it's it's no other sport in the history of sports has grown so exponentially the way that this sport has. So it's 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 pretty pretty neat to watch it all happen. Yeah, for sure. And I'd be willing to guess that 90% of the people listening to this have either heard of or actually competed in an obstacle race. So you understand why people get so excited about it. It's really fun. There's a lot of fitness. There's more skill than just running, which I think is really neat since I'm an athlete from a different era. Um, You know, before we move on a little bit from this segment, I want you to tell us really quick, just to wrap things up about you, Margaret, what is dirtinyourskirt.com? So dirtinyourskirt... It started out as just my own personal website that I would try to keep myself held accountable for. And uh, much like in the ultra world, I run far. Brian and I kind of have similar stories. Um, You know, I started to write about 
some shoes I was wearing, stuff like that. And now the website's really grown into kind of the female resource for the sport. I'm kind of the, well, I am really the only female voice that in the sport that, that is, you know, bringing up questions about what our future is of the sport and, um, you know, what gear to find and just overall resource uh, kind of from the female point of view. Awesome, awesome. And I was just I was telling her off air how cool her site looks. The colors are really neat. And you guys should go check that out when you get a chance. So we're going to move on a little bit. So I want you to just think back to your competitive days and, and, you know, even something recent to an inspiring moment that has to do with competition or athletics that really moved you. Sure. I, you know, I think that one of the amazing things I've seen in obstacle racing is not what happens at the front of the pack. Um, I was been really lucky to be able to go out later on in the day and even swept the course for some races. And I would say that watching the people that come in at the end of the race are much more inspiring than, than the front of the pack people. So I'm a, I might have raced the race earlier and this happened at, at, at a race. I raced and it took me an hour to finish the race. And then the next day I went out with this gentleman, Chris Davis, who I used to train, who at his heaviest weighed 700 pounds. Wow. And yeah, yeah. And he, um, I actually trained him for a month and a half as part of a greater training program, but he got down to 265 pounds. But um, I went out with him and it took us five hours to complete the same course that the day before I had done in an hour. And, um, you know, watching somebody accomplish something that is so kind of out of the reach of what they think they can do, even though it's in what they can actually do, but watching them continue to push hard for those five hours, and it was a five-mile course, mountain course. Wow. So, so um, you know, watching somebody do that, it's, it's, it's so inspiring. It makes you just want to be, be better at whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and the reason I started Athlete on Fire is because I've worked with people like that. I've taken people like that to top of uh, of big 14,000-foot peaks here in Colorado. And the joy that I got from watching other people reach their goals and the stories that they would have for the rest of their lives really inspired me. But more than that, the fact that every single person, if they just apply themselves as an athlete – is really inspiring to me and getting people like you on and, and a lot of the guests I've had on already that can relate their story to everybody else in the world so that they can take some action is really, is really a cool thing. All right. So we're going to move on to athlete on fire. This is about the mental and physical capacity and I'm changing it up a little bit. I've, I've been doing this thing called fitness on fire where my guests give a really hard or really unique or really fun workout for you guys. I'm throwing it right in the show today, okay? So, Margaret, take it away. Let's give people something that they can do, whether they're listening to it right now or they can do uh, you know, sometime this week. Well, if you're out on a trail, this one's really easy. You don't need any equipment. Literally pick up a rock. You know, Pick up a rock. I would say I weigh about 135-pound female 5'4", and I would say about 25 pounds is what I would say for me. Pick up the rock on whatever trail you're on. Throw it run up to it, throw it, run up to it, throw it, run up to it. Repeat that for about a mile or two. And I can tell you, it it sounds like a really silly workout, but mentally and physically, it will wear you down. Yes, (laughs) she's right. And you know what? Let's be specific. Let's say two miles for the the hardest one. I'll modify for some of you easier people uh, or people that aren't as experienced, but Actually, we have a mutual friend, and I didn't tell Margaret this, but Josue Stevens, who puts on the Fuego Agua down in Nicaragua, uh, he, he puts on some crazy events, and we'll talk about them later. 
But I went down to Austin to visit him a couple years ago. He's like, hey, you want to go do a survival run? It's like, uh, sure. I didn't know there's anything to survive from, but let's go do it. So he took me on some of these trails in Austin in, uh, in the middle of summer. And I've been in Colorado the, the whole year. And it was like 95 and really high humidity. And Margaret can probably attest to this living in a dry climate over in Utah. But one of the drills we did, we got down in the creek and we were, we were throwing this big old 40-pound rock as far as we could, picking it up, throwing as far as we could. And I went about you know, three, 400 yards done. So you guys grab that rock two miles. If you can do it while you're listening to the show, you are in beast mode. We could both appreciate that. So next, do you have a really good quote or a really good mantra that you fall back on that you can share with everybody? Yeah. You know, I actually, I'm, I'm going to say I stole it from one of my friends and, um, he, uh, he adapted it from somebody else, but, uh, and every it's used so often, but, uh, Nick Holland, who I think you might end up talking to later, who's finished Barkley, youngest guy to finish Badwater. We were in Nicaragua at the survival run this year, and the mantra he used for survival run was work harder, not smart, or work smarter, not harder. And uh, recently I was just in Atlanta racing, and it was funny. Subconsciously, that like came right back into me in the whole race. I was looking at how to make each turn smarter instead of harder. Like, how can I attack each obstacle the smartest way possible using the least amount of energy? So, um, that one came came recently. It's it's used all the time. So, but uh, it, it's definitely a good one to put back in the the brain for yeah. when, when when you're in a race. <laughs> well, and it happens naturally. I mean, when when your body is moving efficiently, whether you've trained it to do that or not, it's really just your body's way of working smarter. And and people, you can get you can get way more fit if you move inefficiently. <laughs> okay? But when you learn how how to move and you train yourself how to move efficiently, your body's going to work smarter. You're not going to use as, as much energy, which is huge in obstacle racing. All right, we're going to move to some darker sides of competition, Margaret. So Talk about a time when you knew that you were ready for something. You went out there, nothing worked. You absolutely failed. Um, you know, I, I think that when I did survival run in last year, I came in, I thought I was trained for it. The thing with obstacle racing and some of these races like survival run or like the death race and world's toughest mutter, there's an unknown factor that is inherently built into it because you don't know what's coming next. Um, you know, I went in, I thought I was fit. Well, I, I, I felt fit. I was trained to run the distance. Uh, I caught, got up to a spot where you had to climb up a bamboo pole that you'd carried about a mile or two up a single track trail. And the bamboo pole is about 25 feet long. Um, you have to put the bamboo pole against a tree and then climb up into it. I would say nine out of 10 times I could climb that bamboo pole into that tree, but we were about 50 K into the race at that point and for whatever reason I failed miserably for about 45 minutes and even better it's all is on film too because there's a <laughs> camera crew so I um totally not the way I normally act um lost control of all my emotions threw a piece of wood into the into the woods and I'm like hands and like crying and and it's all on video but um Ooh, do you have you a link know, wait wait do you have a link for that uh, I'd probably find it. There's pieces of it in a couple different YouTube videos. Not the full meltdown, but it's the first time that I really melted down in uh, in a race situation. And I had, I've had little things before, but but it, it was pretty raw, pretty real. And uh, 
but it was really good in the end. You yeah. Know? So okay, yeah. so you're you're talking about the survival run, and let's not assume that everybody knows what that is. So take take thirty seconds to a minute and, and tell people what that what that race entails. Sure, it's a it's an ultra distance race. They're held in different parts of the world. Uh, the one I'm talking about was in Nicaragua on a landlocked island called Ometepe, and you literally do uh, on the 75k course. You traverse up two volcanoes and um, had about 15 different tasks that included climbing up a coconut tree. Uh, carrying 45 pounds of wood, being handcuffed for five miles, running that way, carrying a live chicken for five miles, and then a whole bunch of other <laughs> obstacles mixed in as well. Swimming. It taxes every single part of your body and mentally. Yeah, so it, it, it's amazing, guys. They're they're carrying a live chicken for like five or six miles. That That is not your daddy's obstacle race right there. <laughs> so you guys can get, like, she was probably just absolutely destroyed, but... I personally, and I'm sure everybody else listening, wants to see the meltdown. So we will find that link and throw it in the show notes, all right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, I'll send it over to you. <laughs> all right. So let's go – in this, I always go physical first and mental. So let, let's go physical. You know, let, let's say you, you're training for one of your big races, which you probably are, always are. Take one of your harder days, whether it's a Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it is, and you know, take us through. What time do you wake up? What time do you go to sleep? And what fills the whole day? Sure. Uh, well, I don't like to get up early, so I tend to get up around seven o'clock in the morning. Um, so I get up around seven and then I'll head to the gym. Um, I work out at Ute CrossFit three days a week and I think CrossFit's a really good, um, training tool for obstacle racing. And I think for a lot of sports, um, it's, it's, it's not everything, but it's part of it. So I'll go there and I'll do a workout. Um, and that's high intensity, Olympic lifting, uh, kind of whatever's on the board for that day. Then come home and now I have a four month old puppy that's half border collie and half Australian shepherd who needs three to four hours of exercise a day. So on a tough day, we'll go and hike up a mountain here in the afternoon just to try to wear him down. Um, and do, you then, a, do you have a favorite mountain that you guys are hiking up? Um, well, I just went up. Uh, Grandeur is one of my favorites just because it's really close, and you get almost a 4,000-foot gain in about two miles. Ooh, that's all. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit less gain, but you get a pretty big gain in a pretty short period of time, and you end up above 8,000 feet. Nice. Um, so in, in Salt Lake City here, we're about 4,500 feet. Uh, and it's 10 minutes from my house. So that's, that, that's a favorite. I uh, just did Olympus for the first time the other day, and that is a brutal and really fun hike as well that I think I'll be doing a little bit more. Nice. So, but, yeah, uh, so then you go through your hike. Yeah, I go through the hike and then come home. And um, we um, diet, I think you just eat real food, whatever, whatever it is. I don't prescribe to any particular diet. Um, we tend to eat a lot of, we make our own like, um, beans and, and a lot of rice and, and that sort of thing. Um, or whatever vegetables we've got a, uh, a, a wannabe urban garden in our backyard. So if it's seasonal, um, we'll pick whatever we have. Um, and, and probably something from our chickens. <laughs> oh no, that's great. It reminds me of this, you know, Joe Decker, gut check fitness. I refer to him a lot cause I think he's an yeah. amazing dude, but he posted something on his site the other day and it said, Athletes don't diet and exercise; they eat and train. I was like, ah, oh, finally somebody said it. But it's pretty cool. Pretty cool little infographic there. 
for sure yeah yeah it's a, so yeah so then we'll do that and then um you know i live with my boyfriend and we watch movies almost every night or watch something like that and try to you know try to balance out um kind of the the craziness in life with uh with an evening that's sort of quiet and calm <laughs> and away from me on the computer and i mean we're watching the computer but away from me on the computer writing or doing something like that because if there's free time in my day it's normally some sort of writing is being done in between whatever activities is the rest of the day no that's great and so let's move to the to the mental piece you know are there any habits or superstitions or rituals that you go through when you're competing or before you compete that you want to share with us um you know it's kind of changed throughout time i used to be super habitual about like what i ate the night before and for a long time it was believe it or not pizza was like this I had these really great races after I like the the next day after I ate pizza or I had a bunch of races in a row where I had a donut and coffee in the morning and then I'd podiumed all the races. But um I think that if you get too stuck on rituals and it, they can almost become a crutch. So I don't really have any anymore. Um I just try to if it's a long race, I try to eat a lot two days before the race. Um but I don't really have any particular ones that I yeah. do anymore. No, I think I think I think it's good advice. You know, I, I played baseball in college, and you know, my teammates and a lot of baseball guys are semi psychotic about ritual and superstition. So I think it's interesting just to see what people's answers are for that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, what is a good habit that you have that you can give listeners uh, to kind of draw from? Um, you know, I think the best habit you can do in any sort of thing is not take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, at whatever level, sport, life, work, you know, you start to have success in something and to just remember that, um, you know, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. doesn't matter who you are in the world, whether you're a king or a queen or the janitor or whomever, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we all do that. So, um, don't take yourself too seriously. That's true. And you know, some of us are talented enough to put one leg in each pant leg. So, that's just a skill that we can talk about later. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's kind of a life habit. What about a habit? Like writing for a lot of people is really hard to just get into. And I, th- and I truly believe that everybody has a story to share. So how do you – how are you so disciplined with your writing? And is there a skill that really helps you for that? Uh, well, you know, when I started writing my blog, I wrote every day. In the morning, I posted, today I'm going to run two miles. Then I'd get home and be like – today I ran two miles and I saw a squirrel on the trail and it was really awesome and it was really cool you know so I look back at some of the stuff I wrote in 2011 and writing's like anything you have to practice you know you don't in sport you don't go out and go try to be like a major league baseball player having never hit a ball before or for a runner, you don't go out and run a, go from couch to marathon. Well, most people don't. Um, couch to like marathon or something. Yeah. Um, it takes practice, you know. And, and now, personally, Tuesday is like my writing day. I sit down and um, I pretty much just write all day long and take little mental breaks when I need to. But I do the bulk of my writing on Tuesdays. And for me, that's become like my new norm. And, and I take the day off of training and um, – you know, but I think having kind of dedicated time, I heard one author one time say that he writes every day between 10 and 2. That's 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Wow. <laughs> but that's that's the way he works. He's, he puts that 
time aside. So I think if you want to be a writer and you want to get into writing, it's like anything else. You just have to practice it and okay. be dedicated. So I, I have a question about that. So, okay, I want to start tomorrow morning. I understand that setting aside, setting aside time to write is important, but how do you even come up with what you want to write about? What, what do you draw from? I mean, how are you figuring out what your content is going to be? Sure. Uh, I think you draw first. If you, you First thing, if you've never written anything before, write about what you like, um, whether it be, you know, it could be puppies, it could be cupcakes, it could be sport, you know, find something you're really passionate about. It's a lot easier to write about something you're passionate about. And for me now that I've been writing about a lot of these topics for a while, I actually carry a notebook with me all the time. And when I kind of come up with an idea, I write it in the notebook for later on. So I have a I probably have 30 different ideas of what topics to write on now. Um, And I I crowdsource a lot of things as well. If I'm writing a topic, I I just wrote recently about how to find a good CrossFit uh, gym, box, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I I, I thought I knew everything, but then I said, hey, all my friends on Facebook, what would you want? Or what do you think you wish you had asked or whatever? And I end up getting ideas from those kind of around me. Yeah. And yeah, that's great. Just, so just tap into your immediate environment and find things that interest you and then just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't be worried if you screw up. I mean, it's like blogs and the internet, they're going to be typos. You're going to screw up. It's okay. Don't be afraid. And not everything needs to be like Pulitzer Prize winning every time you put it out there. Awesome. No, I think that's that's a great advice. You know, it's, it's hard to be bold enough to post something that you thought of, put it on paper or put on on the computer and, and posting it. And once you do, I think once you get used to it, it's almost like a drug too. Like you get so excited for the feedback and the interaction that your ideas can bring from other people. And that's the power. That's the power of the internet. It's the power of podcasting. And I'm seeing that as well. And, uh, you know, if we can help people find a way to, to, to make the time to do these things, then it's definitely worth the effort here. All right. So we are pretty much done with that segment, uh, athlete on fire. You know, we get a good idea of, of the physical demands and it sounds like you have a pretty, a pretty balanced lifestyle. The last thing in the segment that I'd like to ask, so let's say we're out at a really difficult, challenging course for you and it's towards the end of the event. You're obviously taxed. It, you know, if I was in the stands or if I was on the sideline looking at you, what is going through your head when you're really, really struggling out there? Well, if you look at me half the time, I've been told that people say that I look like I want to kill somebody, but I have no idea. Like my, I go blank as to kind of, kind of, but, uh, it, when it gets really hard, a lot of times I just try to take it. Actually, I got this from, I think it was, it wasn't Joe Decker. It was somebody, uh, it was somebody else at the death race, um, uh, years ago said, he asked me what I could do for five minutes. And I thought it was a really strange question. And I was like, well, I can do anything. I can't think of anything I can't do for five minutes. And he was like, when it gets tough, take it, take anything in life like that. And if five minutes is too long, break it down to a minute. And if a minute's too long, break it down to 30 seconds. And if you have to break it down to one step at a time. Um, and he said, instead of looking at kind of the mountain in front of you, just break it out like one step at a time. Yeah. And- that's great. I mean, that's great advice for, I mean, for business. This podcast was a huge endeavor. I mean, just technically for me, just to learn all the stuff and all the steps you have to do to post it, you just start learning things one by one, reach out to people that know what they're doing. Uh, and the same thing with athletics, like 
if you want to go run a marathon or go do the Tough Mudder, go do it, go try a pull-up first and walk a mile. Like, you got to see where you're at and then just take little baby steps. You're going to get there eventually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we are going on to Athlete Inspired. And before we do that, uh, I always like to have a little fun. I either do a quiz here or I do, like, a, a fun back and forth. So I'm going to do a fun back and forth with you. Before we got on today, I asked you what the four toughest events that you've ever done were. And you told me the world's toughest mutter, the Spartan death race, the Fuego Agua survival run that you talked about earlier in the show, and the Vermont 50K. So we're going to go through those, and you're going to give me 20 to 30 seconds of something that happened that was memorable in each of those events, whether it was funny or you know gritty or unique, whatever you can come up with that you think people can draw from, okay? Sure. All right. World's toughest mutter. World's toughest mutter, 2011. Um with the two guys I raced with, we were one of them was doing backstrokes through the mud pit that had turned into ice in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, that's a little extreme. Um, yeah, World's Toughest Mudder is, is basically an ultra with obstacles. It's pretty amazing. Uh, number two, the Spartan Death Race. Um, Spartan Death Race was spending an entire night hiking about 20 miles, 25 miles of the, the long trail slash AT uh, with a three-person sit-on-top kayak in a group of 20 people. Holy crap. <laughs> that does not sound fun. All right, next, the Fuego Agua survival run. Uh, you know, carrying a chicken. But it, it's the most memorable, funny part, I think. And what was even funnier is I, we have chickens at our house, so I already knew how to carry a chicken. And everybody else watching this big dude who's a friend of mine who's a germaphobe hold the chicken like as far away from his body as he could for a couple <laughs> miles. <laughs> so what'd you do? Did you go legs and then put the body against your chest really close? Yeah, pretty much just held it like a football, like right underneath, um, you know, just right into your chest. And it was nighttime. So I don't know that most people know this, but chickens during the nighttime are very docile. It's oh, when the nice. sun comes up that they start to, you know, get wild or whatnot. So they, and mine pretty much fell asleep in my arm for the most part. So I actually have background about this because the the race director Josue, who I've actually directed some races with, he he told me about about some of the stuff he was doing for you guys before anybody knew. And uh, so tell everybody what happened after, you know, how did you get rid of the chicken during the race? What did they do? Oh, so you just run up, and all of a sudden there's like these cops sitting there with the with their lights going and everything, and they take the chicken from you. And now this is all in Nicaragua, so it's the Nicaraguan police. And I don't know how great everybody else's Spanish is, but mine is horrible. Um, I've been trying to get better. I'm actually I'm practicing every day to get better. But um, it, literally, you hand it over, and they're speaking to you, and they put handcuffs on you and handcuff you with these zip tie handcuff things. And then you run the next five miles handcuffed, which one of my friends, Lainey, had to go to the bathroom <laughs> during that. So handcuffed with a backpack on, spandexy you know, compression wear, trying to go to the bathroom. She was like running down a road bare ass for a little while and then some <laughs> people coming and tried to fix it. Oh, it's so funny. Well, the <laughs> thing is, it's not like the Tough Mudder where you're like, oh, on mile number one, you will be doing monkey bars over a cold, muddy pit. No. He basically, he says, there's a chance you'll die out here. I hope you're okay with that. You guys have no idea that cops are about to, to come, and it's just it cracks me up every time I think about it. Oh no! It, it, it honestly, 
had some of the scariest moments I've had in, in, in life and in sport. I mean, climbing up this coconut tree, we climbed about 25 feet up into this tree to grab this wristband out of it, hanging on this, you know, branch. Below us, we're at Ojo de Agua, it's called. It's like there's this beautiful water, all this pool thing. Well, the tree is actually above the concrete. And if you fell out of the tree and fell directly down, you'd fall into concrete. You'd kind of have to jump out to get into the water. And then behind you on the back is like rocks and like barbed wire and, and, and stuff like that. So it was a do or die moment. I even said to somebody like, this is one of those moments where you just turn your brain off and you just do it. You don't think about it and you get down and then you celebrate the fact you did it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all I, I'll link up that that race because it's just such a unique race uh, on the show notes. And then lastly, you said the Vermont 50K was one of the tougher ones for you. Yeah, that was a, it was the first it was 2011. Um, it was the first 50K. I was actually getting ready for World's Toughest Mudder. And I figured that, you know, hey, I'm going to try to do this 24 hour race. And I am not an endurance athlete and grew up hated hating running. So May 2011, my longest race I had done was 10 miles. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's let's train for an ultra and decided to run the, the Vermont 50K got into it, started running. And I think anybody who's listening that is an endurance runner will laugh at this. You know, I'm running and I'm like, sweet, I'm doing awesome. And I'm running like <laughs> a 10 minute pace, like a sub 10 minute pace for the first like 10 miles, <laughs> which is stupid. I like, it was really, it was way too fast. Well, around, um, the half marathon mark, I, uh, my IT band locked up. And by the end, the last like four or five miles, I was like peg legging the whole thing. The last you know half mile or so is like down a ski slope to the finish line. And you can see the finish line and you just have to like kind of traverse back and forth down this ski slope trail to get to the finish. And, you know, I, I thought about rolling down the hill at that point. I was crying every step of the way. <laughs> it was just this like miserable experience. But it's amazing. You cross the finish line and no longer you hurt for like the next couple hours until the next day. <laughs> you oh, know? Man. You're well, like, like, Oh, I'm better again. <laughs> yeah. The, the IT band thing is we talked about a little bit. It's just, it is a beast. If you guys ever have IT band syndrome and you need some pointers, you know, I've said on the show many times that my background is exercise science. I've trained athletes forever. I felt a lot of people get out of it, but until I actually had it last year for the first time, was I, you know, able to actually apply my own advice Granted, it did work, but it is a miserable little syndrome. Tell you that. All right. That was awesome. We could talk about these races for like 87 hours. I know <laughs> we could because I'm already I'm excited about it just thinking about it. We're going to move on to Athlete Inspired, Margaret. You're just going to give really quick takeaways for, for, for our audience, and, uh, and we'll just go from there. So the first one's still a little bit about you, and the question is, is legacy important to you? Um, yes and no. Uh, you know, I think it, it's it's great to leave a legacy, but I think that people should really create their own um, their own path. Yeah, absolutely. So, kind of off of that, who in the world right now is inspiring you? Uh, you know, it, it, I've listened to your show, so I've heard this question. So I, I've actually thought about it the last couple of days, and you know, I think it changes throughout life, but I'd have to say right now, and she's going to kill me for saying this because she's going to say she's not an inspiration at all, is uh, one of my good friends, Michelle Roy. She is an ultra runner, not not front of the pack. She's a mid-packer, um, but I'm actually going to go crew for her. She's attempting this 500-mile race for the third year in a row this year, and uh, she's great. I mean, she's she's a 
over 10 years older than I am and her experience and, and knowledge is whenever I have anything going on in the world, whether it's like life or sport related, I pretty much call her. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So she, so she's kind of a mentor, but you just know how much effort she's putting into it. So it's kind of inspiring. Oh yeah. I mean, she, the fact that she, that she even attempts this race peak 500, it's called, it's a 10 mile mountain loop. You do 50 times in oh 10 days. Gosh. Yeah. In Vermont. And last year it snowed and was 85 degrees in the 10 days. Holy so it's, it, you know, only two people have ever finished it and um, she's going for it for the, the third time. And, you know, she, she just goes out and does it. And, and she's the first to make fun of herself. She calls herself out all the time, you know, so I find it, I find it awesome when you can call yourself out and, and, you know. Yeah, no, that's crap. So peak 500, I'll link that up. That's just amazing to me. Like, I can't even comprehend. I can't even comprehend freaking walking around my kitchen table five or 50 times, much less a mountain. But anyway, anyway, we'll move forward a little bit. What, what, what's a really good book that you can recommend to people that are listening right now? Um, you know, I'm actually reading my, one of my other passions in life is food and where food comes from and all that sort of stuff. Um, I just started reading this book called eating on the wild side. The author, her name's Joe Robinson, and she basically she talks about she breaks down food in a really easy way and how to get the most out of what you're eating. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I, get, I get all stoked out on food. No, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. So I always I've been referencing this question a lot lately, and uh, it's the Jimmy V question. And you know that SB speech he gave like 20 years ago is just really mm. inspiring even to this day. And he says there's three things that you should do every day. So I'm going to ask you about those. Okay. So the first one is what makes you laugh every day? Oh, I, you know, I'd say my dog. (laughs) Dogs are like ruling this question. It's so funny. (laughs) They they do though. They rule. They can be the biggest pain in the ass, but then they can be the greatest source of joy in a day. Yeah. No, it's really, you know, I think since, since you're on trails, like there's just a really cool connection, um, being on the trail with the dog. And I will actually, recommend a book right now based on that because I read this book like seven or eight years ago before we, we got a Husky that's since left us, but, uh, it's called Merle's door. Have you ever read it? Mm-mm. I'll have to add it to the list. It's, it's Ted Carasote, Ted Carasote. Uh, I'll put it on the link, but this guy, he was rafting down the Grand Canyon and they stopped for the night on like a border of some private land. And this dog, when they were taken off the next morning, came off the land, hopped in the raft Next time they stopped, he got off again, but he would not leave the raft. He stayed right by this guy's side. And this guy lived up in, in Jackson, Wyoming, and he tells a story about this dog in this little community outside of, I think it was in Victor, up there outside of uh-huh. Grand Tetons. And uh, there wasn't a leash law in this, t- in this small little town. So they got, you know, he would go up and get 2,000 vertical and ski down every morning with his dog. And it was a really heartwarming story. But the cool part is he did research on like, uh, the genetics of dogs and how they function and things that they're able to do that have to do with their senses. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It'll blow your mind. It's really cool. So that's awesome. a little shout out for him. All right. So we're going to move forward on this question here. So that that's what makes you laugh like everybody's animals do. Number two, what makes you cry or what are you passionate enough about that, that would bring you to tears? Oh, I, 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 you know, I cry at the cheesiest movies in the world. Those, <laughs> those like romantic comedy movies I cry all the time. My, I think it's genetics. My mom does too. My mom used to cry at Hallmark commercials. Oh no! And, and I think I've inherited that. All right, so you, know? you got you got, you got to name a movie right now that made you cry. Oh, uh, oh, you know what movie makes everybody cry? 
is The Notebook. Every oh, female, man. I think. But you know what movie I watched right after I graduated that made me cry like a baby was Friday Night Lights. That last speech that he gives about how it might be your last time going out there as a team playing a sport, I watched for the first time like less than a month after I graduated college. Oh, and wow. I bawled because I had been, you know, I'd played sports my whole life and had been on team sports all through college and it was over. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, it's funny the transition from team sports because I did the same thing into endurance and more individual sports is so hard because. It's fun to work with a team, but it's the camaraderie and, and working towards a goal that is really special. And for a lot of people that can't figure out how to get into something different in their adult life, you know, reach out to me or Margaret. I think I think both of us could help you. But there's so many resources that can help you really figure that out. It's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, for sure. Lastly, for Jimmy V, what do you do every day to ensure your brain is firing and that you're thinking? Uh, you know, I I just. I try to get out. I try to challenge myself to do something, whether it be, um, you know, currently I'm trying to practice the Duolingo to learn Spanish every day. Um, but in the past it's been, you know, doing Lumosity type work or just interacting with people that don't have the same belief that I do. You know, I think that, that interacting with people that aren't like you, you actually learn more. Yeah. I mean, perspective is, is a recurring theme in the show. And if any way that you can find perspective, whether it's traveling, putting yourself around people that you don't know, any of that stuff is great. Yeah, I'd love to say I read every day. I mean, I would love to do that, but I am more of a feast or famine reader. I'll sit down and read, you know, 100 pages in one sitting, and then I won't read for a couple of weeks. And yeah. I'll, you know, you know I, I'll, I'll read, uh, you know, I read the whole, that, that whole Divergent book series in a week and a half. Yeah, you sound like you sound like my wife. It's pretty funny. Well, and the thing is, like, especially in this day and age, I, I would tell people really focus on creating. It works your mind just as much or more than than taking in other people's content. And yeah, maybe that's going to hurt athlete on fire, and maybe it's going to hurt dirt in your skirt. But in the end, you're going to be better off for it. Go create something as opposed to taking in something every single second of the day. All right, we're going to wrap it up here, Mark. We have two questions left. I want you to take a second. How can people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you on online? Otherwise, go for it. Sure. Um, you know, anybody can get in touch with me. They can send me emails through my website, dirtinyourskirt.com. Um, or I've got, you know, Dirt in Your Skirts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, pretty much every social media. Google Plus. Um, I don't know what else I missed. But uh, I'm out there. Mostly Facebook's really easy. You can always send me a Facebook message um, or or hit me up on Twitter. I'm pretty much connected to my phone all of the time. <laughs> sweet. Sweet. And yeah, and you guys check out our book. I think it's going to be really cool. I'm definitely going to read it. And I'm going to wrap everything else up and take you totally back to the beginning of the show. Go back to that 15-year-old version of yourself and give yourself some advice. Oh, I would tell myself not to be so hard on myself. It's still, I'm still way too hard on myself. Um, but I would tell myself just to chill out and relax, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's okay. It's okay to mess up and it's okay to, to, to take chances and screw up and failure is not always bad. <laughs> well, and it's, your definition of failure determines on how bad it is because if you, you know, if, if your goal is to be in first place and everything, you're going to be failing a lot. Everybody is, you know, especially oh, when yeah. you're in huge fields. So you just got to define what really is driving you. Enjoy the journey as much as, as the end of everything, especially competitively. And, and that's just a, a call out to you guys out there. You know, 
when you decide to go run that first marathon or you get back into playing ball or you want to hike up a big mountain, define what your goal is. Is your goal to finish it and enjoy the process or is it to be the best in the world at it? Whatever it is, is going to be fun. Yeah. I I would say too, just to to add one more thing too, is to not necessarily as a, as a kid, not listen to what everybody else is, is either telling you you have to do or is saying about you, you know, and I think that's, that's recurring. Everybody would think that, but I mean, as my adult life now starting a company and doing stuff, you know, the, the trolls on the internet, you know, when I quit my job to, to do all this stuff, I worked in education for 10 years and, uh, almost 10 years. And when I did that, you know, I had somebody, I, I was called, you know, batshit crazy online <laughs> by somebody, you know, and, and I would just tell people like, there is no direct path. And I would tell myself that, you know, there's no direct path. Whatever path you think there is, there are tons of variations Awesome from it. Awesome, Margaret. I appreciate your time and your insights today. I think it was very interesting. I think people are going to love the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sweet. And this is for everybody else out there listening. I'm your host, Scott Jones. You guys have been inspired today by professional obstacle course racer, author, Margaret Schlachter. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.